Today's that idea? Steampunk Rome. That's right, we are talking about an undead idea, steam, because believe it or not, the 18th century was not the birth of steam power. This idea was born in the ancient world, died, and then was reanimated in the 18th century. Today we are talking about steampunk Rome, the technology of the ancient world that almost started the Industrial Revolution 2,000 years early. That's what we're talking about today on Dead Ideas. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. The music we just heard was composed by Rachel Westhoff, my lovely wife, who turns out is a real slave driver. She had me shoveling coal for her new steam-powered synthesizer, and man, she does not let up. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, believe it or not, though, in the ancient world, they did actually construct a water-powered organ for realsies. Water-powered? Water-powered. Like, it had, like, a, a guy do, like, doing a hand pump on it. <laughs> Surely a slave. <laughs> that was just one of so many amazing inventions that they had. We're going to hear about a bunch of things like that today. This is the final series of our show, and we are taking it out in a truly monumental way. We're talking about steampunk Rome, the advanced technology of the ancient world that came this close to kickstarting an industrial revolution way ahead of schedule. And to help us visualize this, we have a stunning new custom-generated map of a steampunk Roman Empire what? created by none other than our very own Adam McKithern. Thank you, Adam. Oh, you're quite welcome, Brandon. And listeners. <laughs> listeners, that's Adam McKithern making a quick cameo appearance for you here on this episode. Adam, you've done medieval Ireland, 19th century Russia, ancient Sumer, medieval Iceland, and now alternate history Rome. Do you want to quick tell the listeners how you got hooked up with Dead Ideas? Oh, whew. we're we're on this one of the same Facebook pages, and I believe I posted a few maps, just kind of as a a blanket. Uh, you know, if, if anybody has a history podcast, they want me to make some maps for, I'd be glad to. You know, then we linked up, and it's kind of been a a match made in heaven, right? That's right, and we appreciate everything that you do here. Thank you, Adam. Listeners, you can go to www.deadideas.net to see Adam's mind-blowing maps, along with Rachel's graphic design, and a bunch of pics, references, and a whole lot else that we'll be talking about today. Finally, to co-host this capstone series of our show, this piece de resistance, once again, we have Andre Solo. Hey everybody, I just arrived via Trireme, but it is not a slave galley. We do pay our workers fair prices. Oh, that's very progressive of you. <laughs> the only Trireme that's not driven by slaves in the ancient world. <laughs> that's an angle. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show, Andre. I'm glad to be here. All right, everybody, it's episode 98 at this point, but don't worry, we do have a proper series coming for you. You know how at the end of a fireworks display they blow off half of their load in one like eye-popping grand finale? Well that's what we're doing with this series. We're bringing you an entire epic series and yes we are extending past episode 100 with this series. We're gonna do it right so we're gonna take as long as it takes to really you know make this awesome. Yes at the speed of steam. At the speed of steam <laughs> and not only that but we are also going to do a special bonus episode for episode 100, wow. and we have got guests 
from all across the history podcasting genre to talk to you about how this amazing genre developed. So that's going to be a bonus episode. Is Just it, snuck it the in history there. of history podcast? It is the history of yes. history podcasting. Mm-hmm. It's coming up. Yeah. But back to steampunk Rome. All right. Let's get into it. So we are going to begin with a vision of alternate history. Oh, my God. I can't wait. And then the rest of today is going to be 100% accurate to true history. But I want to start with a visceral sense of the possible. All right. So, Andre, I want you to imagine Mm -hmm. an ancient city of Rome. Am I in a toga? Yes. You are in a toga. Okay, great. An ancient city of Rome, ever so slightly divergent from our own timeline. Mm -hmm. You step out of the Roman Forum with black columns. Black with soot. Ooh. The entire city, in fact, is covered in a pall. A low-hanging haze blots out the sun, and you see people in the street walking about holding umbrellas, but not against precipitation, but against rain of a different kind, a rain of coal ash. Mm. Believe it or not, the Romans did actually exploit coal, historically, Ooh. in the true timeline, right? In our timeline, they didn't mine it, but they collected exposed coal, especially in Britain, and they used it sometimes for fuel, sometimes for sacrificial fires, particularly on the altar of Minerva at Bath in Britain, where it was used for a perpetual fire because, duh, it's Mm. the best thing you can find for a long-lasting fire, right? And they even used coal for jewelry. Yep. Uh, Like... You yes. would wear it on your ears? Kind of, what, or or pendants, or, you know, it's kind of like obsidian. Would you, like, lacquer it or something? Like, would you seal it so that it's not just rubbing coal dust on you? I, so what they had mostly in the southern areas, like mm-hmm. the Mediterranean, was something called lignite. Mm. And I don't know if it was a little bit harder. Oh, uh, okay, or, yeah. or Or if you did have to lacquer it or something, sure, do yeah. some kind of a veneer over it, I'm not sure. But they have found these, like, medallions made out of this lignite coal. Wow. That were, you know... It was ornamentation that the Mm. ancient Romans were using, and it was coal. Now, in our divergent timeline, this is ever so slightly extended. A slave holds an umbrella over your head as you descend the black soot marble steps of the forum. Okay. You are a governor Mm. with a coal jet pendant dangling from your neck, emblazoning your office for all to see. Mm. But this is not just a pretty bauble, but a symbol of the power of the empire, which alone commands the energy inherent in this umbral stone. Your jet-black pendant contrasts starkly against your clean white toga, just about the only thing truly white left in the city of Rome, and your ability to keep it white despite the constant rain of coal ash is itself a symbol of your wealth and status. So we not only have advanced steam technology, we also have great like dry cleaning. Great dry cleaning. Does this involve and, people peeing on my toga? Uh, you've heard that part, huh? <laughs> yes. So in in real history, what the Romans used to clean their laundry was... Was it human urine or was it some kind of animal human. urine? It was human. Oh, okay. It was human urine. Yeah, why waste all that great donkey urine? Yeah, it was something about the ammonia in it. Oh, okay. And, and yeah, human urine would be collected from chamber pots throughout the city. Which does that mean you have to have a separate chamber pot for number two? Like, you don't want that getting in the toga. 
Yeah, it would be separate. Is this like a recycle? Like, you know, like with recycling, like people sometimes <laughs> don't separate out their recyclables. And then you get that <laughs> oh, no, one that chamber be... pot, and you're like, oh, Ooh. the whole batch is ruined. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sure that accidents happened. <laughs> but as disgusting as it may sound, it probably provided at least a partial sanitation system for mm. a growing city because. You didn't have people pissing us anywhere in the streets, you know. You had these convenient chamber pots collected regularly by the launderers who made a tidy profit off of them. Wait, so would like a launderer come by the house and be like, bring out your urine! They just bring had out in the your urine! They had them in the streets, actually, wow. for people to use publicly. So you combine this with aqueducts and the baths, for which Roma is, of course, famous, and you have pretty much an incipient sanitation system hmm. addressing a rising urban population, which in our divergent timeline reaches even greater heights. Hmm. Tell me about these heights <laughs> as governor. <laughs> Pretty damn high. So Rome itself actually reached one million people at its height. In the real world. In the real world. So, Amazing. So you in your urine clean white toga, mm. contrasting against everybody else's black and ashen clothes in the city, you exit the forum, you proceed down the marble steps, and you head to the nearby platforms. Okay. Platform. There, surrounded by a cohort of bodyguards in polished cuirasses and helmets with red horsehair plumes, Ooh. you wait next to a trackway that looks like a cobblestone road with two long, straight, parallel grooves in it. And this is the road on which you will be carried to your destination. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. So this was also something true to history. The Isthmus of Corinth, which is pretty much in smack in the middle of Greece, mm -hmm. had a trackway just like this that was actually used for real for moving ships because then you didn't have to sail all the way around the rest of Greece, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And it, was, it wasn't raised rails like we think of with railroads. It mm -hmm. was grooves instead, but the, the wheels would be guided along. It was on like kind of like a wheel system, the ship was. And it's called the Diolkos, and you can still see this today. Wow. Yeah. So it is considered by many scholars to be the world's first railway. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So back to the alternate history. You wait on the platforms before this grooved trackway. And before long, you begin to hear it. The rumbling vibration travels from the platform up your entire body. Finally, around a corner, guided by the grooves of the trackway, lumbers into view that elemental power which has pushed your empire's borders beyond anything hitherto known. In its hulking iron belly, it combines earth in the form of coal with fire to create a sustainable searing heat which in turn transmutes water into air. And the force of that air, desperately seeking escape, is what moves the wheels of this Iron Chariot. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I can see some Caesars rolling around in this. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've got yeah. my attention, sir. <laughs> it creaks to a halt before you with a psh of steam, and you climb onto a car reserved especially for you and your elite guard. Innumerable cars stretch out behind you, each carrying cohort upon cohort of armored legionaries headed for the frontier. By the end of the day, you will reach the farthest flung borders of the empire, and by the end of the week, you will carry the words of your emperor, backed up by this fast-moving iron-mounted army, across the Gobi Desert, 
on your diplomatic mission wow. all the way to the palace of the Emperor of China. Wow. <laughs> Who is totally going to copy this, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we, we still did it first. Uh, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. So what I just described is, of course, a vision of alternate history. Ancient Rome did not develop the steam locomotive and did not experience an industrial revolution. Allegedly. <laughs> that's, that's fake news. <laughs> All of history is fake news. Right. But in true history, it may be argued that it did come awfully damn close. They did develop steam power, and we've already seen how they did have many of the rudimentary components necessary for a railroad-supporting infrastructure, like coal, like the beginnings of urbanization, like trackways, to name a few examples. And as we'll soon see, they also had scientific theories and engineering know-how far in advance of what we normally think of for the mm. ancient world. Because the information that we're fed about Rome by your typical History Channel BS... <laughs> documentary <laughs> it's like the recurrent hatred of i know channel i know i know it's like my mortal enemy right so what do you get you a history channel documentary about rome you're gonna have a was bigfoot a roman <laughs> okay all right i was thinking gladiators but oh, right, yeah right, i'm yeah. sure they'd no, find a way yeah. to sandwich in bigfoot and aliens yeah. uh gladiators chariots caesar nero right. orgies of Gaul, maybe what? Maybe the conquest of Gaul, like something like that. Some, That's pretty highbrow for stuff. the History Channel. Oh, they love the Roman armies. <laughs> yeah. Only if they can show them killing Gauls, maybe. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. In any case, it's always the same, right? But mm -hmm. there's so much more interesting about yeah. what was going on in the ancient world that you just you just never hear about. And so we are gonna do this. Right. Oh, I love it. We're going to hear about a lot of really amazing inventions that were, in fact, true to the ancient yes, world. Yes, the rest will be real, everybody. Don't worry. It's enough to make you wonder, what if? You know, what if they had taken mm. that next step and developed a steam locomotive? What if they had undergone an industrial revolution 2,000 years early? You know, what if? It's a fascinating thing to ponder. Now, listeners, I know... That all of this sounds unbelievably silly and naive, but by the end of the series, I think that you will find that the most intriguing question is not, could ancient Rome have undergone an industrial revolution, but actually kind of, why didn't it? Yeah, you what's know? up, it's... ancient Rome? <laughs> I, it was a lot closer than I personally ever thought. And today we are going to explore just how advanced the ancient Roman world was, and we're going to do that by playing in the sandbox for this episode, we are going to get to the hard questions about what it really takes to have an industrial revolution next time. Uh, spoiler alert, it's very complex. There's a lot of different factors. But just for today, we are going to play in the sandbox. We're going to have some fun. And we are going to do this in order to get a sense of just what kind of technologies were available to the ancient Romans. And so what we're going to do is we are going to attempt to construct an ancient Roman steam locomotive using only yes. the components and, and inventions and technology that they had available at the time. Will we be doing this using an erector set? <laughs> I only you, and I don't want to see. <laughs> 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 Obviously, also, I know that industrial evolution requires much more than the locomotive. Duh. Okay, but the locomotive is iconic, so that's where we're starting, right? Because it's fun, you could visualize it. It's a good entry point. So that's what we're going to do. Next time, we're going to go into making a serious attempt at the question, could Rome have experienced an industrial revolution, and if so, why didn't it? And after that, another on Alexandria and the uh, wow. 
Hellenistic world that came before oh, the Roman it. Empire. So that, I was going to ask about that. Okay, that's great. That's great. Which is coming. Yep. Any listeners out there who kind of knows a little bit about this history, the real question is not why didn't ancient Rome, but why didn't the Hellenistic mm. world develop an industrial revolution? But that's coming. All those guys never did anything. Yeah. Just yeah. waiting for the Romans to come and, you know, utilize all that great philosophy. Yeah. yeah. And then finally, we'll conclude our series and our show with an alternate history exploration of Rome Industrial with an interview with none other than the famed podcaster and host of the Twilight Histories, Jordan Harbour. That is what is in wow. store for this series, listeners. That's a pretty good way to uh, go out. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Blowing our load of fireworks all at once. <laughs> so today we're going to get a solid sense of just how advanced the ancient world was by trying to construct an ancient Roman steam locomotive. <laughs> yes. All right. For much of today's info, we're going to be following Italian mathematician and historian of science, Lucio Russo, specifically his book, The Forgotten Revolution. It has drawn considerable criticism for overreaching the evidence in a few specific cases, which we will avoid. But the bulk of the work is solid. And I have to tell you, he's miles ahead of anything else that I've read. Like he goes into such nuance and depth that it's very informative. So listeners, if you want to make up your own mind, you can find the references on our website. Done deal. Our time and place of focus for this series is Imperial Rome, from 10 CE to 70 CE, starting in the days of Emperor Augustus and spanning the reigns of a series of flash-in-the-pan emperors all the way up to Vespasian. Hmm. And we're choosing these years in particular because this is the span of the life of the curious inventor, Hero of Alexandria, Hmm. who was born just after the time of Julius Caesar and just after the time of... Jesus of Galilee, and yet set down for us a manual of inventions to rival 18th century Europe. Wow. Yeah. And was Hero himself, uh, was he a Roman citizen, having been from Alexandria? It was Roman Egypt by that time. Yeah, right. Okay. So it is fair to call this a Roman invention, in a way. Yes. Yeah. So, Andre, you just climbed onto your iron chariot. Yes. (laughs) Now let's take this thing apart, and let's see what it takes to construct such a thing. Okay. So first of all, what's at the heart? of this beast? What is the most essential thing, the thing that makes it go? What's at the very center of a steam locomotive? Uranium. <laughs> Not uranium, surprisingly. <laughs> the steam engine, right? Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's no, the, one. yeah. yeah the uranium yeah. part steam engine. Yes. Everything else, while important, is secondary to the engine. So maybe that's where we should start. That's where we should focus. Did ancient Rome have anything even close to a working steam engine? And the answer is... Yes. Yes, they did. Two inventions in particular are described in Hero of Alexandria's Pneumatica. Each of these inventions, taken in isolation, might be easily dismissed, but taken together, they make, in my opinion at least, a fairly compelling case for a potential capacity of the ancient world to have developed a steam-powered travel. The first is a certain little doodad, and if you've read anything about steam in the ancient world, this is probably the thing that you have heard of. Yeah. And this doodad... Looks like something straight out of a Tinker Gnome's workshop from Dungeons & Dragons. Yes, yep. Imagine an enclosed vat of water over a fire. Wait, wait, can I I try to make this visual? Sure. All right. Imagine the letter S. Just the letter S. Just picture that. And now picture the middle of the S is a little fat, as if the S swallowed something that was too big for it. Now that fat part is full of water. And you put it over fire. And when the water inside the fat part turns to steam... Uh, the two ends of the S shoot out steam, and it makes the S spin around around the fat part. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, that pretty much. Is that does fair? It. Yeah. 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 It's a fat S. 
It's FedEx. <laughs> yeah, it's made of copper. It's got all these tubes and stuff. And yeah, basically, you're heating the water. And in, in the actual design by Hero, the water's not inside the S. It's oh. actu- it's actually in a vat beneath, oh, it's, it's, and it travels, right. it travels to the through S a pipe by into tubes. the yes. Okay, so yeah, everything I said this wrong, as we been, promised. Would have been <laughs> would have been more efficient for it to just be right in the S, but you know, it could also be hard. It's to a Mark execute. One, right? Yeah, right, yeah. right. So, in any case, the point is, when the steam shoots out of the ends of the S, mm-hmm. it spins around. Yeah, right, and it's suspended on a horizontal axle. Right. Yeah, so it's spinning like a almost like a wheel of steam. Yes, yeah. it's like a wheel of steam. So in retrospect, from our 2018 perspective, it seems like, duh, what would you use this for? It's You use it to turn, to turn wheels, something. turn gears, yeah, right. to work, right? Yeah. So far as we know, <laughs> it wasn't used to do anything except... It was used to impress people. It was used it was to like, impress look people. look at what I can do. As far as we know, all it did was spin. It was like a yeah. novelty toy. Yeah, that, that spinning was not harnessed for any other purpose. Yeah. Right. This is called... The Aeola Pile. It's called the what? The Aeola Pile. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it's Aeoli like Aeolus, not like the garlic dip. Aeolus was the keeper of the winds in Greek mythology. Oh, okay. okay. That plus pilus, the Latin word for ball. So it's basically the sphere of the keeper of winds. Hmm. And you could see images of this along with everything else on our website, listeners. So Wow. I, okay, wow. Now, this Aeola pile is estimated to have rotated at some 1,500 RPM, which is faster than anything else in the ancient world known to us today. Now, who estimates that? I don't know. Estimators. <laughs> I no, just, no. I feel like people, somebody... have re- people have reconstructed Yeah, they've built like models. Yeah, they built okay, models. Yeah. So, how many? 1,500 RPM? 1,500 RPM. I mean, that's like respectable. It's respectable. That's like the low end of what a car's engine does, right? I think it's on the meter somewhere. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So um, this is considered to be the world's first steam engine. Hmm. The problem is, as I said, it wasn't put to use to do any work, right? right? All we can say without venturing into wild speculation is it was not put to work to do anything but, like, impress people, like you said. We lack any historical evidence that it was, but at the very least, we could say that it could have been put to work. And that is what interests us today. In principle, it could have turned the gears of a mill, the cam Mm. of a pump, or the wheels of an automobile, or indeed, a steam locomotive. Yeah. Yeah. Now, because I know that there'll be haters out there that are just waiting to, with a like a butt button, you know, Ooh. we do have to mention that this device suffered an efficiency problem. There was a reason, perhaps, why this Mark I Eolopile never, like, made it to... Mark V. You know, <laughs> to the Mark V. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the joints had to be made fairly loose so that the sphere can spin freely. Were they not big on lubricant back then? Um, I don't know. Apparently don't know. not. Yeah, right. And uh, but the but the looser you made the joints, the more the steam kind of ex- uh, escaped oh, out sure. of the joints. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then it lost energy. Mm-hmm. So there was kind of this damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of problem that they were running into. Right. But I would say that if you follow the trajectory of any invention. Yes. The Mark One always sucks. Yeah, I agree right? with that. But it's followed I by. I mean, to be clear, the Wright brothers were able to fly with like Mark Fifty Seven <laughs> or something for like two minutes. They were like, "Oh, check it out! We kind of crashed, but it was flying." Right. You know, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that is enough to get a sense that the Romans could have developed something that could have been. Yeah. 
a functional steam locomotive. Yeah, you can get those joints tightened up. It's going to, yeah. You'd figure out a way around that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we've got the heart of our steam locomotive in its most rudimentary form, a working steam engine capable of making wheels turn, but now you could go deep geek into all the specifics of the design here and like all of the little nuts Mm. and bolts and cams and gears that you'd have to have to make it work. And that could get really complicated. It could be a whole episode in itself. But I'm just going to make a blanket statement. They had all of that shit. Because they did. They had pistons. They had cams. They had valves. They had pulleys. They had drive belts. They had ball bearings. Mm. Ball bearings. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, ball bearings is less surprising to me than, like, drive belts. That's great. Yeah. They had drive belts. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just the bolt and nut is already difficult enough. If you consider the kind of uniform precision crafting that it takes Wait, to make... they had bolts and nuts? They had bolts and nuts. That were threaded? That were threaded, yes. Oh, wow. And the kind okay. of precision it would take so that every bolt threads into every nut. Do you have an idea of how they made it? They can't just cast yep. it in a mold. Nope. Um, so they, would, they were big, first mm-hmm. of all. That they weren't sense. tiny like yeah. ours. Mm-hmm. They were big. And you would have like a cylinder Mm -hmm. and you would wrap like very thin metal. So basically a foil that was cut into a right triangle and you would wrap it around. Mm -hmm. And then that the hypotenuse of that right triangle that's now wrapping around a spiral around that tube is where you draw your line. And that's where your thread is going to be. And as long as you use the same triangle on every bolt, you'll have uh, (laughs) roughly the same thread. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, believe it or not. Now, I am going to jump in on this uh, mm-hmm. cams and bolts and drive okay. belts and all that kind of stuff. I do think there's one big limitation here, hmm. which is that the difference once you have something spinning at 1,500 RPM or more as they improve it, that has to keep spinning for the entire duration of a, a journey from at least, say, like Rome to mm-hmm. S- Sicily's on an island, Rome mm-hmm. to somewhere else in Italy that yep. we know of, Tuscany, is that it's going to have to be subject to continuous high intensity wear and tear without yes. falling apart mid journey. Yes. Any thoughts on that? Absolutely. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, so metallurgy is mm. going to be something big that you're going to have to perfect if you're going to have something that can withstand that kind of stress. That's right? what I'm thinking. But they didn't have steel as we know it, right? They had steel. What? Yeah, maybe didn't have the production capacity Not just iron, and the but quality. actual steel? Oh yes. Okay. Oh yes. Uh, steel is not that hard to make actually okay. it's just the amount of like the carbon content amount in there and it's really hard to get right in order to make steel that's quality steel okay that part is sure. really hard and to produce it in and cast it that's super hard mm-hmm. but they had steel they could hammer out steel so so let's talk about this right so they they need iron they need steel they need mass production of mm-hmm. these components so let's talk about that so start with iron Roman iron output was actually massive. An estimated 82,500 tons of iron were excavated per year using hydraulic mining, which is a technique of like washing away soil and rock to expose the ore underneath. Nice. And just to give a, a further illustration of the scale of their mining capabilities, silver mining, which as a byproduct produces lead, at least in the technique that they had, created so much pollution that at that time, the Greenland ice sheet's lead content quadrupled over its level that it was at at prehistoric times Hmm. during the imperial period. And then after the imperial period, it 
just dropped again. Wow, okay. Yes. So mining silver right. that much, that it created that much uh, lead pollution hmm. all the way into the, the Arctic areas. So mining was huge. They were producing huge megatons of iron. The Roman smiths worked iron and steel using them with sophistication. So, for example, you think of the Roman legionary with that banded male armor, mm-hmm. the uh, lorica segmentata. Yep. That was made with an enamel of hard steel on the outside mm. to stop penetration. Yep. But underneath that was a backing of softer iron yeah, to absorb impact. Absorb impact. Nice. So they were really smart about it. So all of that is just to be like, suffice to say that Roman metallurgy was quite accomplished. All right. I could, yeah, all right. I can believe I'm making some gears that would hold up to this. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how about mass production? You could take all the time you want to, you know, hammer out one piece, but you got to have a lot of pieces for, you know, mm-hmm. to make a working railroad system, right? So what about mass production? Well, the Romans fucking invented mass production. Let me tell you. Casts and molds were used to produce high-volume runs of objects, particularly brooches, like fibulae, coins, ingots. And in this way, you got heaps and heaps of objects, all pretty much uniform in shape. And this technology could easily have been turned to the mass production of engine components, iron rails, bolts, screws, and so on. Now, here's the rub. Here's the thing that they couldn't do. The problem was, all of those things had to be either cast out of very expensive metals, like copper, bronze, or brass, or you had to hammer them out, out of iron, because Roman furnaces could not achieve the high temperatures that were needed to melt melt iron. iron. Yeah. Yeah. So when it came to iron, they were limited to wrought iron, that's like hammered out from white hot solid blooms, Mm -hmm. and the same would apply to steel. Cast iron is something that's much easier to work with because you can melt it and pour it into the shape you want, but they just couldn't do it. They yeah. couldn't produce it because they couldn't get that higher temperature. Now, that's what you really want if you want to produce a lot of components quickly right. and cheaply. And that's actually one of the reasons I originally was thinking they'd have to make all of their gears and you know all this, all the little fine machine parts out of like lead or bronze or something. But it sounds I can at least believe now, based on everything you've said, that they could make them out of iron or steel, preferably steel. It's just that it's going to be very labor intensive to do so because you can't mass cast them. Well, you don't even steel. need steel for something like that. I mean, even in the 18th century, they didn't make stuff out of steel. It was cast iron all over the place. But but I mean, well, that's true. But it's still, if it's iron, we can't just cast it in ancient Rome. We're going to have to. You can't cast it. In Rome. Yeah, you have, have to, to rot you have iron. To hammer it out. Yeah. So the yellow pile was actually made out of copper. Right. Yes. So well, that's not going to work for all of our parts inside of a locomotive because they're going to have to be grinding against each other all the time. They can't be soft. So probably iron would be the. Yeah, there's going to be some uh, there's going to be some trade-offs there. There's going to be some yeah. improvements that, improvements that, that need or to be made. use a softer metal that you can cast and just understand that every time you're going to have to change out the gears constantly. You know, like every yeah. time it finishes two trips from Rome to Tuscany and back, you change out the gears. Yeah. Now I'm going to throw something in there, and okay. this is not a. Uh, I, I think we're, we're so far. I'm impressed. I feel like we're building a Roman locomotive, <laughs> but I'm going to throw this in there because I think it's an important difference from how we would build it today. With everything you've said about how this will be made. We now need to picture that the parts, all the moving parts in here, all the machined parts, mm-hmm. are bigger, thicker, and heavier than they would be if they were made by modern machining technology. And the reason for that oh, is if point. it's being cast, well, if it's being wrought by hand, it's going to definitely be imperfect enough where you're going to have to make it err on the on the bigger side. Because the process is imperfect, you need it to be big enough where the imperfections don't make it not work in order to get the job done when you can't perfectly machine the parts. 
because otherwise they won't quite fit together and the thing won't work. Yep. Does that it's seem reasonable? It's going to be big, I think. Yeah. So it's going to be a lot of weight on this locomotive, which okay. might come up again later in my yeah. thinking about tracks and things like that. Let's, let's talk about that now. Okay. So what are you thinking about tracks? So I love that you said that it was stone grooves in the uh-huh. one actual railway that we know, quote unquote railway, yeah. uh, that we know of from that time period. Because I was thinking this, I didn't know about that, but I was thinking this through earlier and I figured, well, they're obviously not going to use steel or iron tracks like we use for trains today. Because even with what I now know from what you said about Roman iron production, that's just completely impractical with the rate of production they had back then. It's just a ridiculous amount of iron to throw away for tracks. Mm -hmm. Wood is not going to work well over time for a million reasons. So I figured, well, the Romans are really good with stonework, and they already had, like, stone highways connecting everything. I mean, not everything, but they built some stone-paved highways. Mm-hmm. They were really good at highways. Yes, yeah. So they probably could make uh, a stone trackway. I think the two issues you're going to run into with a stone trackway, one is that no matter how good the locomotive is, we're probably going to be running this thing at speeds much lower than what you and I think of as a train moving at. Yep. Like, it's going to go slow. Yep. Partly so you don't just destroy the track and partly so that, I mean, because you don't want it to just get derailed because it jumps the track. Right. Which is, you know, the stones are imperfect. You're going to be rattling like crazy. It's going to be a rough ride. Gonna the governor's going to have a very tough ride to China. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's one thing. The other thing is I think the, the, the weight of this thing is going to do damage to this track really rapidly compared to what we think of. What do you mm-hmm. think of that? I think that's entirely possible. But... For me, the mm-hmm. crucial thing is, could they have the starting idea and mm-hmm. then improve it from there? Oh, I definitely think yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think it'll work. Yeah. I, I think I think when we eventually get to the question of, well, why didn't they do it? It's going to matter a little bit if, well, it's hard to build the track. It's hard to maintain mm-hmm. the track. The track is being constantly required, you know, a massive overhaul. Yeah. The gears are being changed out every two trips. Like... All that's going to be factors in why it wouldn't be that practical. But I'd say right now with a stone track, we're in that it's a reasonable category. I think especially if it's a groove rather than a raised thing. Because with a groove, that weight of it is it's only going to make the groove more effective as more... as more locomotives go along yes. the track. It's as long as it's not actually displacing deeper. the stones, which is what I'm concerned about. That, but so yes, that the be, groove itself should be solved. Or it could wear, wear away the curb sides of, of the stones. That's true too, yeah. yeah. Like, um, that's also possible. But again, you know, you, you you make something and it creates a problem that causes you to make another thing and you get right. these invention cascades going. Yes, yeah. And that's what really drives technology forward. I love so. it. So yeah, I think it's a very valid concern, but I don't think it would hold back our first Roman locomotive. I don't think it, yeah, I don't think it would hold back like building it and saying like, hey, look, I made a thing that moves people. I think it might hold back making it like a empire-wide network. We'll put it that way. But in any case, yeah, let's proceed. So anything else you can think of that would, uh, that we would need to... So so what do we have right now? So we've got a thing that that actually turns because of steam power. Right, we've got the engine. We've got the fine parts uh, Mm -hmm. that that get it to then turn wheels from that engine. Yep. We've got a track for it to go on. Yep. Now, you said that they have coal. Yep. And that's something I want to dig into. Yeah. Because... It's, it's interesting that they got a lot of their coal from Britain, because that's part of the reason Britain was the source of the Industrial Revolution in the first place. They had all this coal, right? But they all, you also said they didn't use a ton of it. They just used what was kind of on the surface. So mm-hmm. tell me more about that, because I'm worried that the lack of, of abundant coal or the difficulty getting coal might be an issue here. Okay. Well, uh, so we know that they collected 
exposed coal, mm -hmm. exposed seams. They didn't mine it, but they collected exposed coal. We know that they used it for fuel, and they understood the properties of how it was superior to wood for certain purposes, like yep. creating a long-lasting fire. And we also know, I didn't mention this yet, but we also know that Roman soldiers and smiths used it in their forges because nice. they understood the superiority of it for that purpose as well, yep. for metallurgy and things like that. And if you compare it to like early pre-industrial Britain, mm -hmm. they're basically in the same situation. The Romans controlled the very same coal deposits because right. they controlled the same territory, right? They were in the same position. Mm -hmm. The British didn't think of mining coal until they had an absolute need for it, which was because they had used up all of their wood, basically, and they needed to heat uh, their homes. Okay, yeah. The Romans, if they started a locomotive system, might have started with wood. Sure. It would have been relatively inefficient very compared inefficient. to yeah. coal. It would have right. used up a lot of wood. Yeah. And they would have very quickly uh, needed something to replace all that wood. Mm. And then I think they would have done the same thing the British would have done. They would have been like, well, we got this coal. Let's see if we could find some more of this shit. <laughs> so, you know, that's actually an interesting question because this <laughs> steam explosions. Now, in the 18... <laughs> sorry, yeah, 17, 1800s, what was uh -huh. the early experimenting of, of modern-day steam? Uh, I think 17s? it started uh, 1671, oh, okay. maybe? But it was, like, just really minuscule. Sure. It was mostly 1700s. Okay, so we'll say definitely in the 1700s, and it, my understanding is even into the 19th century, 1800s, even with our modern, like, machined uh, steam engines... Yeah. Steam explosions were huge, like boiler explosions. Oh, it's dangerous issue. as fuck. Yeah. And I would imagine that with the issues we have going back, where like the machining is less precise, parts are being cast from molds, the the initial Mark I prototype has steam leaking out of it because it has to have loose joints to get it to spin. We're hoping they can improve that. Like all of these factors make me think, how are the Romans going to figure out how to monitor steam pressure and keep it high enough to keep it running but vented appropriately where it won't explode. Um, I don't, I think they would have done at least as well as like the British, which was not very well. <laughs> That's Touché. my answer to that. Now, as far as the machining of parts, I can't say with a hundred percent confidence, but I think that they were much better than we would expect at machining parts in very high precision. Because if you look at something, for example, like the Antikythera device, which some okay, scholars consider to be the world's first computer. Okay. Um, we have no historical documentation of this whatsoever, but they found it in a shipwreck in the Mediterranean. It dates back to the ancient Roman Empire. And it was all these very, very fine-toothed gears mm -hmm. set up like clockwork in mm -hmm. order to compute the mm. positions of all these celestial bodies at given times wow. during the year. Okay. That's my understanding of it. And the amount of precision that had to go into that was at least as much as it would have taken to make a bolt that was a reasonable and effective size hmm. you know, that was threaded and went into a nut and all of that stuff. So I wouldn't put too much stock into the they didn't have the machining capability part. I think their machining was probably at least on par with, say, 17th century Europe, if not 18th at the start of it. Really? I would say. 
Oh my god, okay. I love that for, for the only time in the history of this uh, podcast... <laughs> I'm the most I'm, Yeah, I'm the one. skeptical one, and you're the one who's like, no, no, we can totally do this! Well, after reading Lucio Rosso's book, right. that's the thing. I, I never expected any of this was going to work either. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty mind-blowing. Cool. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Well, I think that's what I've got on my mind, but are there other parts that we're forgetting that, that you are thinking of? I got a couple more. Oh, great. So we've got all the physical stuff, right? Mm-hmm. We got the engine. We got all the other stuff that to make the engine move the wheels, etc. We've got the thing it's going to move on the track. We've got the fuel for it. We've got all of that stuff, right? But it takes more than that to get an actual rail system going. You have mm-hmm. to have uh, a government that's willing to put the project into action, to fund it, and you know all of that kind of stuff. So the question of the political motivation could they have mustered that aspect of the problem because is it going to be subsidized by the government or is i mean there's not like some rich coot who's building it they didn't really have a developed middle class that had enough wealth to invest in it yeah where was all that motivation and even in the united states in the 19th century to actually get a railway network it took government subsidies i mean like even the billionaires of that era could not uh build it themselves yeah so what can we say about that? So what we can say about this in ancient Rome is Rome has always been a military empire. Okay. Hmm. And all of that conquest produced a very, very long border that you had to defend. Yeah. Okay. One of the reasons why the Western Empire eventually fell to the Germanic tribes is because you just couldn't move troops along the border fast enough from place to place to defend all of that frontier. Hmm. If someone was insightful enough to recognize that this technology had the capability, eventually, when it got good enough, and you overcame some of the obstacles that we've come up with, right, to move troops along that border at a faster rate than walking, right, faster rate than they had been, if not much faster, maybe not as fast as we think of as steam locomotives, right, but fast, Right. right? That because because a legion be a would march, what was it, like 25 miles in a day was like the, if you're getting places, speed of a legion, right? So know. even if this thing could go 10 miles an hour, and then presumably with maybe a stop for water and fuel, it could go the better part of 24 hours a day. Okay, it's ancient. It's going to break down all the time. It can go like, you know, 10 hours at a stretch at, at 10 miles an hour. That'd be 100 miles a day. That'd be amazing. So yeah, yeah that would quadruple the speed of a legion. Y- yes. Right. So if a government recognized that and was interested in military conquest like they were right or at the very least military defense like yeah, they were because they were constantly worried about a huge horde just showing up from across the barbarian lands yep. and taking them out and the capacity to fund such a project was in the hands of the empire like it was right it yep. was a state-run government basically yep. it's probably like state-run one of the few economy. organizations on the planet that would have had the resources to do this at that time yes yeah then I think you could have mustered the political motivation to put something like this into place oh, yeah. once once you have proof of concept. Yeah, I think right? if you could show proof of concept to yep. someone ambitious like Julius Caesar when he was in power, yep. it would have been no question. It would have been like, yeah, how much money do you need? Like how yep. many dudes? Like the, the, the famous Appian Way, the, the road, mm-hmm. um, that it just went from Rome to like, I don't even remember what town it was, but it, it just went like less than a quarter of the way across the Italian peninsula in order right. to get troops to a, a, a war as soon as possible. Yeah. They did that, and then that exploded all across the empire, all the road building. Yeah. 
if you had just a teeny tiny little railroad that showed the, the Appian line, of it, the Appian line, yes! <laughs> like that would have that would have done it. Yeah, I think. You, you mentioned water stops, though. That was interesting because a steam locomotive in actual history needs a lot of water, mm -hmm. right? Early modern steam locomotives had to stop every seven to ten miles, which wow. is like eleven to sixteen kilometers. Ooh. For water refills. Okay, that's going to slow us down. Yeah, so there's no way that the ancient Roman world had, like, water available in that quantity, 7 to 10 miles. Because, of course, they didn't. They had no need for it, right? Right, right. However, they were using water wheels. They mm -hmm. were using water screws. They had water pumps. Yeah. Of course, they had were, aqueducts. There was a great thing about the pumps was yeah. they invented, like, the flat valve, or maybe the Greeks did, which is, like... The simplest thing, like when you think of an old timey water pump where you, you crank the handle and after about 20 seconds water comes out, uh -huh. that's just flap valves. And that's like the simplest, like it takes almost no investment. You put one of these every 10 miles, you're good, right? Mm. So I could, yeah, I don't, I don't have any question that they could yeah. get the water stops if they yeah. needed to. What about if they had to go through a mountain? You got Alps. You mentioned tunneling earlier. I can't see it. I can't see I mean, they were good miners, but you have to, oof, like one cave in and the whole line is shut down. Well, here's the thing. They had all of that shit. Like but mining actually... was the most dangerous slave job possible. I mean, their 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 tunnels were not good tunnels. Yeah, but that's danger. <laughs> what, what danger ever stopped a good capitalist? Because because <laughs> if you're bringing the legion through to go save the empire, and there's a cave in, and if there's a cave in every three or four weeks, then that's a big problem. I think it'd almost be better to go around or or around the mountains or through a pass at that point than it would be to go under the mountain. Well, that's an interesting point. If you're marching valuable troops through a tunnel <laughs> versus <laughs> expendable to third class slaves. Well, that's true, yeah. But they did actually do all kinds of tunneling, and they had um, a technique called counter-tunneling, mm -hmm. which used some pretty amazing math where you would have one team tunneling into the mountain from one direction, and then another team coming from the opposite direction pointed directly at the other team. Beautiful. They could not see of the other team yeah. because, obviously, there's a mountain in the way, mm -hmm. so they had to use nothing more than like advanced surveying techniques yep. and mathematics to meet in the exact point in the center. I bet and... they also used listening skills. <laughs> well, I'm sure they did once they got close, but yeah, first you have right. to get close. Yeah. Yeah, so they had all of that. They had all of that. Ah, uh, oof, that would make me nervous as the governor funding the uh, the railway project. Go through a pass. <laughs> now, a more serious obstacle is perhaps presented by the question of the attitude toward this device. Because mm. as we've said, it's never put to work. And you might say, sure, maybe they could have put an engine like this to work, but they wouldn't have if they had no concept of mechanization or oh, right. or, yeah. or no motivation to mechanize. So the next no, question is then, one. do they have those? Counterpoint, I love it. they did mechanize all kinds of things that mm. slaves used to do. Like what? Like lifting water. They used water screws that are kind of like, it's like a tube that mm. has a screw in it, basically. Yep. When mm -hmm. you turn it around, you have one end in water, and yep. you crank it around, and it just lifts the water right up. Slaves could have done that just as easily with buckets, mm -hmm. but no, they did that. They put in water mills. To like use right. hydropower of yep. streams and rivers to uh, to saw lumber, to grind flour, possibly even to drill into like marble and stone and things like that. They actually had all kinds of ways that they mechanized tasks that had previously been reserved for slaves. Yeah. So here's another thing where they did actually put this technology to work. Mm -hmm. So in Roman Egypt, 
in Alexandria, where Hero lived and worked. You could go to a temple, you could light an altar fire outside, and you would make your offerings, and then lo and behold, miraculously, the great doors to the temple would open all by themselves. Oh, I love it. And then afterward, when the altar fire was extinguished, they would close all by themselves. But that's the case of not pursuing efficiency, but just pursuing like the sense of awe that it would give one to see the doors open as if by themselves. That's right, but it's still mechanization. That's true. Still putting it to work, you know. So this wonder is also described in Hero's Pneumatica. And the explanation, again, is steam power. The altar fire heats a cauldron of water connected by pipes to the doors, which are forced open by the expanding air of the steam. When, when the fire is put out and the water cools, it creates a vacuum in the pipes and it the doors close again. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's... So wow, okay. That's, that's a clear example of how ancient peoples were completely aware that steam power could be used to perform work. So the point is the Romans had the mindset necessary to conceive of mechanization via steam power. Like, they could have done it. It's not that they couldn't think it with their Roman minds. They totally could have done it entirely within their own cultural worldview, right? Hmm. They could have put the aeola pile to work. And again, maybe we simply like surviving documentation of it, but for our purposes, we have to accept that. We'll assume right. that they didn't put it to work. Now, clearly, ancient Roman thinkers knew that they could put this steam technology to practical use, but wait a minute, perhaps maybe they just never thought of applying it to the realm of transportation. Mm. Maybe... They didn't extend that then to the locomotive idea, right. right? So perhaps they just didn't realize that this could be used for literal horsepower, like to replace mm. a horse. Right. Not so. In fact, they did have that very kind of machine that they had created. Whoa. They did, in fact, create a self-moving vehicle. Wait, what? Yes, they did. Yet another contraption described by Hero of Alexandria, this time in his Automata, was the self-propelled cart. And this was used, get this, in theater, of all things. Oh. Have you heard this one before? No, I don't think so. Yeah. It was used to draw curtains and change sets automatically at very specific times during the play. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it wasn't steam-powered, but it did illustrate with undeniable clarity that vehicular motion was on people's minds. Hero's self-propelled cart worked by the gravity of a suspended weight, mm, yeah. okay? And when the weight is suspended, it exerts force on, like, gears and pulleys and such. And as a result, things start to turn, and the cart lurches into motion all by itself. And as the weight descends, the cart does its job, moving, you know, across the set and pulling curtains across and whatever it does until the weight reaches its resting place, and then it comes to a halt. Wow. So there you go. That's actually an ancient automobile if you take that literally right, yeah, it yeah. auto moves right so there's a song oh they were device. begging for a steam locomotive yeah they were begging for wow. it wow they were begging for it the last thing that i had is okay so say you could put all of this stuff into place but as soon as there's not a war mm. or let's say you pacify the germanic tribes and your borders don't need to be defended as desperately like is it just gonna wither away is there something that's going to be able to sustain that, like give it some other use in right. peacetime? Do you have enough economic market integration to really justify this thing? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Think goods moving from place to place. And the answer is 
they were actually pretty damn integrated mm. economy wise. It was pretty astounding. So you had in the ancient Roman Empire, you had regions that were doubling down on their specialized products. Like I mean, it might be olive oil, or it might be tin, or you know things like that. And you were transporting things from place to place. The Rome famously got like two thirds of its grain from Egypt. Right. Wow. Just shipped wow. in the same way that we get our food shipped in from like truckers, you know, yep. from halfway across the country. And that meant that each region didn't have to produce all the things that it needed. If you had a region that was shitty for growing grain, you don't got to waste your land growing grain. Right. You can have that shit shipped in. Just do sheep or Just mining or whatever sheep. the thing is. Yeah. yeah right. Do your thing. Yeah. And so everybody is producing the thing that they're best at. Yeah. And they had all these shipping lines, mainly going across the Mediterranean and such. Mm. And a locomotive could capitalize on that like mental model that they already have for the economy yeah, right. and extend it further and make it much more viable to make those economic inroads all the way into like the deepest land areas of the continent. I like this. Yeah. Now, did you have something else that you had thought of that you wanted to ask about? You know, I think I this occurred to me as you were talking about how integrated everything is. I don't have a concept of this. I mean, I know that the Roman Empire enforced law, and that was, in fact, one of their selling points of, like, join the empire. You don't have to just all die at our sword point. You could have laws. <laughs> but, like, if you're traveling across the Roman Empire, is it like in medieval Europe where there's a reasonable chance, or, like, going through the, the Silk Road, where there's a reasonable chance you have to worry about bandits just ganking your ass? Or was it like, if you're traveling a Roman highway, you're safe? Hmm. That's a good question. Because if there's not good control of the hinterlands in between, you know, centers of civilization, then I would worry a lot about the sabotage of the railroad, the hijacking of the railroad, things like that. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. And honestly, I don't know the answer. The Mongols were actually famous for having really good patrol of roads. Mm. It was safe during the Mongol periods when they were controlling Asia. Wow. The Romans, I don't know. I do know for sure that they had a big problem with pirates. There's oh, this yeah, famous the scene, story yeah. with Caesar when he was young and he gets <laughs> captured by pirates. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a Spoiler deal. alert, he promised to kill them all and he did, in fact, kill them all after he was released. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't know how prone their roads were to bandits. Right. I don't know either. I, I mean, I, and again, that's solvable, right? Like if it's you're solvable. like, we're investing a lot of, of resources in this railway and it's going to be a military asset, they'll patrol it. It's just one more layer of cost and yeah. difficulty, but yeah. yeah. All right, so it sounds like your verdict is they could have built it. I think they could have built it. So everything we've said convinces me that they could have built it, uh -huh. except this. Yeah. The ancient Chinese didn't build it. So I don't believe the Romans could have built it. <laughs> <Go on. laughs> Honestly, like, the number of things that ancient China was more advanced on than the ancient West... Uh, if China didn't build it, I'm I'm saying it's impossible with the technology that time. I'm just gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and take China's side on this one. Uh, sorry, guys, Mozu tried, Mozu failed. It can't be done. Fair enough. And the Chinese did actually have cast iron because the kind of Ooh. iron ore they had had slightly different properties that let it melt at a, a lower temperature. Right. So they had cast iron way earlier than the West did. They didn't build a steam locomotive. Right. As far as I know. <laughs> they did have a steam-powered dragon boat. <laughs> but they built some pretty amazing things. And I I don't know. I, 
I, I wouldn't say that I subscribe to like an inevitability hypothesis right, of technology right, right. where yeah. like if you have the capability, you will build it or else you don't have the capability. Yeah. So I that's agree. probably I, my I'm only being a little response cheeky. to that. I'm being a little cheeky. I, I appreciate I would say, your cheek. Yeah. <laughs> I'll show you the other one if you want. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I think honestly that uh, it seems feasible. I would say yeah. this. I, I 100% believe after this discussion that a group of uh, well-funded inventors, based, you know, working with heroes, mm -hmm. could have built a, a working prototype railway that goes 20 miles between two Roman towns or something and been like, look at what we've done. Yeah. Isn't this promising? And I think that, that, that the two layers of doubt for me, well, well, just one layer of doubt, is that it would have been the question of scaling it. I think there, there yep. is the political will there, is the money there, is the all the little things we talked about that would have to be solved to make it like practical. Uh -huh. I think those are the issues. Could they have built a moving device that runs along a rail with a steam engine? I agree. I think they yeah. could have. Could they have made a whole railway network? I'm I'm skeptical, but I think it's possible. Um, but I would say, and I think you know, you mentioned this earlier. We're using the locomotive as the sort of like piste resistance of this yeah. like example. Yeah. But with the same technology, it, you know, railway aside, it is actually surprising they didn't use it to just spin fabric faster or exactly. to grind grain. Or if we're talking about vehicles, why not a steam powered boat, which would be a lot less obstacles to doing that. You don't have to do a railway or anything. Just take an existing boat, put some battles on it. Bam. Yeah. Right. I know. And they even had paddle boats. Really? They had paddle boats. God, that place. They could have had steam paddle boats. Man, they had all this stuff and polytheism. I love this place. <laughs> By the way, would this is the important question, is would a working Roman railway have given rise to a reinterpretation of an existing deity as the deity of steam power? Why? Would we have a god of steampunk? Right. It could be Hephaestus. Oh, that's Vul a... Oh, or yeah. Rome, in Roman terms, Vulcan. Right, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's an even better name for the device than the Rolliola pile. Let's just call it the Vulcan. The Vulcanizer. Rolliola pile. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually share like all of your I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Right. Right. So first of all, what I envisioned that they would have actually made would have been big. It would have been bulky. Yeah. It would have been rickety. It would have been slow. It would have been made of like mostly wood and like yes. some like bronze frequent and stuff would have been very expensive, yep. frequent breakdowns, but they could have done it. They could have done it. Yeah. And then once they did it, they could have improved upon it. Yes. And then once they improved upon it, do it again, do it again. It's just like, you know, it's just like the first iPhone. How long is the battery on the first iPhone? <laughs> How long did it last? Like half an hour? I have no idea. Yeah. I definitely could not afford now. an iPhone when the first iPhone right? <laughs> It might have taken them another five centuries to perfect it and get an actual, like, all across the empire, like, railroad system. Yeah. But I think they could have done it eventually. Oh, yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah. Uh, see, I'm picturing a uh, gigantic, oversized, bulky Roman locomotive rolling down the way, spikes on the front, <laughs> huge standard flapping there. Oh, yes. And then, like, a, just a line of, like, polybolos, like, gigantic autocrossbows mounted on it on the first few cars. <laughs> and then yes. all the legions in the cars behind that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then uh, their grain, their provisions, some more polybolos. Yeah. Yeah. So they eat polybolos, were they, like, ballista, or they, like... They were, like, the... They were the, the poor man's version of Mosu's swirling autocrossbow. Auto it, it didn't it didn't pivot. It would just point at one thing. So maybe they could have figured out the pivoting Wasn't part. Was it Greek... It was Greek, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, the Romans could have done it. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. 
the Greeks retired it because it didn't work so well. But if you put it on a train, it's just badass. Who's going to attack that? Who's hijacking this thing? Pirates? Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, I think it's time to uh, draw this to a close. Sounds great. But let me put it this way, just to wrap things up. So we started with the idea of like, is it a crazy ass idea that the Romans could have built a steam locomotive? It's not crazy. It's not crazy, right? right? Yeah. Um, What about now an industrial revolution? And that's what we're going to ask next time, because that's a whole lot more complex. And a steam locomotive does not make an industrial revolution. What does it take? Hmm. And how close were they? So that's what I want to talk about in the next episode. Andre, thanks for being on the show once again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Folks, how are we doing on our final series? Is this epic enough for you? Does this beat the toga off your typical gladiators and chariots (laughs) and Caesar and Nero bullshit? Is this something that you would never have expected about ancient Rome, but which is maybe just maybe more interesting than any of that? But we're just getting chugging here. So we'll be back next time for more Steampunk Rome with the question, why didn't the ancient world undergo an industrial revolution? And then we'll have, after that, a very special episode 100 with tons of history podcaster guests, and then still more Steampunk Rome after that. Subscribers, do stay subscribed, because even after the end of this Steampunk Rome series, we are going to keep the feed live with occasional releases and updates, and yes, even new dead ideas now and then. Wow. So leave your settings just as they are, and you will get all of that the moment that it drops. And remember, if you like what we're doing here, you can support the show, and your proceeds will also go toward us developing our next show, The History of Sex. Which will be steam-powered. <laughs> steam-powered sex. It'll certainly be powered by friction, we'll put it that way. It's <laughs> gonna be heat, moisture. It's going to be covering gender, sex, and quirk across world cultures and throughout world history. It's coming. We don't know exactly when yet, but it is coming. Show your support at www.patreon.com forward slash deadideaspod. $5 a month gets you a portrait in the time period and culture of your choosing, and I will draw you as a sooty Roman chimney sweep mm. or a haughty Roman governor in a urine-cleaned toka. Yes. <laughs> or whatever you want, I'll make you look awesome. I promise. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm BT Newberg, and this is Dead Ideas. Mm.